Hello, everyone. This is Thomas Bonet, your host for the Moving Beyond Parables podcast. And I welcome you. I welcome you to this fourth episode of the podcast and a part two to the previous episode three, which is entitled The Kingdom of God's Ark of Safety. And as mentioned, when we were discussing the kingdom of God, we had mentioned how it was a means by which the Lord has designed for humanity to be able to come into the kingdom of heaven. And so the kingdom of God, in the sense, is a ark, an ark of safety, a place of meeting by which men have been conditioned to stand upon holy ground with the Lord God Almighty. And so being the gracious and wonderful and merciful God that he is, the loving God that he is, has devised a way for us to be able to stand in his presence. And we do so in the kingdom of God. And so when we enter into the kingdom of God, we have to uh, treat it as if we're standing upon holy ground. And just as the Lord told Moses to take the shoes off your feet, because said ground is holy ground, we are supposed to do the same as well. And so the taking off of our shoes from our feet is a representation of taking off that which where we used to be the places that we used to go and dwell and allow ourselves to be corrupted by we're not supposed to bring that with us into the ark of safety we're not supposed to bring that into the kingdom of god the lord although he's done this wonderful thing by giving us a means of escape from sin He's not expecting himself to come down uh, to our level to do so, but rather we have to step up to his level. And so that's where the taking the shoes off your feet comes into play. You're supposed to be the one uh, who has to shed the old person that we were and put on the new person, which resembles the image and the likeness of the Son of God. And so inside of this ark of safety, inside of the kingdom of God, you have to become the Israel of God, the spiritual Israel of God, in heart and in mind in order to be considered a citizen of the kingdom of God. Now, the Bible tells us that we are to seek this kingdom. And when the Bible tells us that we're supposed to seek this kingdom, it emphasizes seeking the kingdom first because the scriptures say that if we seek ye first the kingdom of god and this righteousness all these things shall be added unto you and so it behooves everybody to realize that in order to have everything that life has to offer if we're paraphrasing the scripture it means that we have to first seek the kingdom of god in order to have these things sadly when we were in our sin we assumed that if led of our own accord, we could go after this, that, and the other to receive the things that we thought we needed for life. But the Lord is saying, no, you don't really know exactly what you need, but I know what you need. And if you seek the kingdom of God first, all these things that you do need that's pertinent will be added unto you. And so when you're in your sin, you're not thinking about the spiritual things that your soul needs in order to thrive thereby. You're thinking about the natural needs. You're thinking about the things that will make you look good on the outside, that will satisfy your body, that will satisfy your immediate need, uh, your naturalistic needs. But you're not thinking about the spiritual needs. And the Lord is doing that, as we do know. The scriptures teach how the Lord looks beyond the outside and looks on the inside to differentiate where a person's heart is. And so when he first cleans you, he cleans you on the inside and then the outside gets clean. That's why he said in his teaching that you first make clean the inside of the cup and in doing so, the outside becomes clean. And so what he's saying is this, that if you take a cup and you put it in water under a running faucet of water in your kitchen and turn the cup upside down with the mouth facing upside down, you're not really going to clean the inside of the cup. You only clean the outside of the cup because gravity travels downward. It doesn't push itself back upward. And so the inside of the cup will never be clean. But if you turn the mouth upright so that now the water is filling the cup, uh, the inside of the cup is going to be clean. But then uh, there's going to be an overflow as long as you keep your hand there and the outside will be cleaned as well. And so the Lord is looking at it like that. Look, I clean you first inside and eventually your outside is going to benefit because there will be a cup that runneth over and the blessings and the anointing of the lord will encompass the entirety of your person not just the outside 
where we thought things only really mattered, but also the inside where it matters most. And we know that Adam first began to live after the Lord breathed through him the breath of life and he became a living soul. His outside was made prior to his soul coming into play. And so when the outside was made first, there was no life. But then once the Lord breathed into him uh, the breath of life, he became a living soul. His soul sprung to life and then he was alive. And so the pertinent portion of our person is our soul, is what's on the inside. And even when we are told by the Lord that there is a day that we must prepare to meet with God, for as he has said in the scriptures, this day thy soul will be required of thee, he is saying your soul is required, that which is the pertinent portion of your person, the true essence of your person on the inside. And so therefore, it behooves all of us uh, to go into this kingdom of God, to have our shoes taken off our feet, so that we can stand upon holy ground, so that uh, one day when our soul is required, as the Lord did tell his natural brethren, he said that your day is always ready. My day is not yet ready, but your day is always ready, meaning that at any moment in time, our soul can be required. And so upon standing on holy ground, you have prepared your soul for that day by which it is to be required of the Lord to present yourself. It is very important to seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness, because if you do so, like I said, you will have prepared your soul to stand before the Lord. You will then also have put yourself in position to receive everything the Lord has set aside for you. All of the blessings that the Lord has set aside, not just on a natural level, but on a spiritual level. And you will find yourself completely whole as you grow daily, denying yourself and growing daily in the presence of the Lord and as his image and as his likeness is required of all of us. And so it is again important to seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Now, if we're told to seek after his righteousness, then it cannot be complete until we receive the righteousness of Abraham. So let me explain. If he's telling us that seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then he's also saying that it's not enough just to seek the kingdom of God, but we also have to receive the righteousness that accompanies being in the kingdom of God. So in the kingdom of God, it's not enough just to be there and to lounge around while you're there, but it comes with righteousness. So seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. And this righteousness is not a uh, different type of righteousness. It's not a a unique type of righteousness is the same type of righteousness that was ascribed unto Abraham, uh, whom received the title of being righteous only after submitting unto the will of the Lord. And when he did that, after the Lord had told him to offer up your son Isaac unto me, the Lord was looking for his faith. And once he saw that he was not going to withhold his son from the Lord's will, the Lord stopped him and said, that's enough. I've seen enough, Abraham, how I know that you believe in God. And so that's where every last one of us needs to be, to be in a situation where the Lord can testify of all of us that now he knows that we believe in God. And once that happened for Abraham, he was declared as righteous. The same will happen for anyone of us who demonstrates and walks in the same footsteps of Abraham. The Lord is looking to see that through your acid test, that through your trial, you will still believe in God. You're not going to be somebody who's going to throw in a towel. You're not going to be somebody who's going to kick the sand and uh, throw a tantrum. But through your tribulation, you exhibit patience. And that patience is put and placed in nobody else but the Lord. You trust the Lord. And that's what Abraham did. And in doing so, he received the reward of trusting in God. And that reward is that God now has confidence in us to be able to judge, as he is the wonderful and great judge, that we are righteous. And so that faith equates to righteousness. And so going back to the 
instructions, the invitation to go into the kingdom of God. It said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and its righteousness. So it has this righteousness to give unto all of us, this, this title to be bestowed upon every last one of us. But in order to get into the kingdom of God, you have to exhibit the faith necessary in order to have the righteousness of the kingdom ascribed unto you. And so you have to have the faith of Abraham in order to enter into the kingdom. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and in order to get into the kingdom and stay in the kingdom, you have to be deemed righteous. And so that would therefore mean that we would then have to demonstrate to God that we loved him more than these. In order to enter into this kingdom, we have to show him that we love him more than these. And once you do so, yes, then you will be deemed righteous by God and a friend of God as Abraham was and take your rightful place as one of the trees that's flanked next to Jesus Christ at the candlestick, as we had mentioned, that is on one side of him and on the other side of him. And since we are the modern day saints, we are on the uh, side of the Elijah representation of the olive tree. And as we had mentioned last, these two trees that stand by the Lord of the whole earth in terms of Jesus Christ and his kingdom of God on earth, as he is receiving the nutrients from heaven, remember the pipe that came from the bowl up in heaven that has the seven lamps upon it, which represents the seven spirits of God, which feed its oil into this one bowl as a collective and is funneled down into Jesus Christ from heaven. And he testified that whatever the father does, he does. And he only does whatever the father tells him to do. That is a representation of being piped from heaven to earth upon his person and he's receiving the seven spirits of God on a daily refreshed basis, making him uh, a living soul. And so he then shares the wealth uh, for those who have entered into the kingdom of God and have been on the path of righteousness because the citizens of this kingdom daily represent to him that they love him more than these. And they show themselves to be children of Abraham, those who will walk with the Lord, those who will strive with the Lord and endure with the Lord. And as Jesus said unto his disciples, he said, you are they who have suffered with me through all of my temptations. These are they who make up the kingdom of God. These are they who will stand by the Lord of the whole earth as the two olive trees. These are they who represent the camp of Moses on one side in the Old Testament and on the other side represents the New Testament in the camp of Elijah. These are they who have taken the shoes off their feet because the ground that they stand upon is holy ground. Why? Because God is holy. And again, he's not going to compromise holiness for nobody. You have to literally become holy in order to stay with God. He's not going to become a sinner to stay with you. You have to become holy to stay with him. And so therefore your feet needs to be washed because just as Jesus said to Peter, if I don't wash your feet, then you're not whole at all. You're not cleaned at all. But if your feet is washed, you're every whit clean, you're every whit whole. And Peter said, Lord, not only my feet, but wash everything. He said, no, I only need to wash your feet. And so that's why the shoes have to come off because our feet's been dirty. We've been walking in dark places in, in this world. We've been in the muck of the mire. We've been in the valley of the shadow of death. We've associated ourselves in the valley of the dry bones and now we're standing in the presence of life because Jesus says I am the way the truth and the life so in that kingdom you have the way in that kingdom you have the truth and in that kingdom you have the life and so that sounds like a wonderful thing to me I'm sold and if it's just a matter of just turning away from that from which I was associated unto death then fine I turn away from that to go to life and wherever life is, which has been designated as the kingdom of God, this Eden on earth, so to speak, this garden on earth where God has established his kingdom, that's where I need to be. And so the next question is, where is this kingdom? Where can we find this kingdom? And so I'm reminded, praise the Lord, of Luke 17, 21, when, and in fact, I'll read it to you. In fact, I'll start from verse 20, it says here, and when he was demanded of the Pharisees when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, The kingdom of God cometh not with observation, neither shall they say, Lo here or lo there, 
for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. And so then when you really think about that, like, my goodness, okay, so it's not tangible. I can't go pull it up as a GPS and go to the kingdom of God. Jesus said it's not with the observation. It's not like you can just go to the city and say, bam, here's the kingdom of God. But the kingdom of God is within you. So therefore it formulates within an individual and the Lord being the wonderful judge that he is can determine exactly who is an occupant of the kingdom. And as we had already said that those who not only seek the kingdom, but the righteousness that's associated with the kingdom, there is no two different types of righteousness in, in the Bible. There's only one type of righteousness that we have seen Abraham illustrate uh, through his trial, which gave him the title among the biblical world as being the father of faith. And so from the father of faith, he became righteous. And so by seeking the kingdom of God and seeking righteousness, as we had already said, I have to walk in the foots of Abraham. And so therefore, if the kingdom of God is going to be formed in me by righteousness, then that meant the kingdom of God is a part of Abraham. The Lord acknowledges Abraham as a friend. And when he acknowledges him as a friend, he told him things because according to John 15, 15, where Jesus speaks to the disciples, he says, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends because the servant knoweth not what the Lord doeth. But I call you friends because all things I've received of my father, I, I give unto you. And so those in the kingdom of God are considered family to the Lord God. And he will disclose private and personal intimate information unto his friends. He withholds this from uh, those who are not his friends and only gives it to those who are his friends. There's such a benefit that comes with being identified as righteous in the sight of the Lord. There are wonderful things that are afforded unto us by being righteous in his sight. And so therefore I can see based off of the walk of Abraham, how the kingdom of God can be found within a person and it's birthed through faith. The individuals that make up the kingdom of God are Israel. And so you have to be spiritual Israel. You have to be those who strive with the Lord, endures man, and yet prevails. And as Jesus said to his disciples, he said, you are they who have endured with me through all of my temptations. And so we have to be that. We have to be the individual who, even though we're in the wilderness, and even though we're in the valley of the shadow of death, and even though things look dark, and even though it appears as if there's just no hope, and against all hope, we still believe in God. We have to have the same spirit that Caleb had, the same spirit that Joshua had when after the 12 spies came back after spying the land of Canaan, the promised land. Yes, they uh, did testify that the land is goodly, a land of milk and honey, but yet they doubted their capacity or their ability to be able to take the land, even though they were within the camp of God. And so only two of the 12 testified that we're well able to defeat the enemy and to take the land that the Lord has promised because we have the Lord on our side. And the Lord testified that they had a different spirit than those 10 over there who brought doubt into the camp. And doubting is death. You cannot do that. You cannot be a doubter and expect to be within the kingdom of God. And so those who did doubt were not worthy to enter into the promised land. And so therefore those who doubt are not worthy to enter into the kingdom of God. And so if the kingdom of God is within you, then you have to police yourself. You have to make sure that there is no doubting there. And if it is, you need to arrest it. You need to demonstrate the same tenacity that Jesus demonstrated when he went into the temple and saw money changers in the temple. He understood that the temple is designated to being the house of prayer unto the Lord. But then he said, no, you've made it a den of thieves. You've taken it. And your self-righteous ideologies have now changed its natural use into something that's unnatural. You've made it a den of thieves. And the zeal of the Lord have eaten him up. He then got up and then kicked him out of the temple. He said, you need to get out of here. I'm about my father's business. And when I'm looking here, this is not about the father's business. This must be a house of prayer. And so we need to do the same for our person. If you see doubt on board, you need to police yourself. You need to be the priest of the house that God has picked you over in your bodily temple where he is supposed to reside. And if you find anything that's in there that should not be, you need to kick it out. You need to have the same zeal that the Lord demonstrated when he cast out the money changers. You need to kick it out. You don't need to sit there and talk and reason with it. 
because in doing so you might find yourself subtly falling into the will of the enemy as Eve did being deceived in the garden. You don't talk to it, you kick it out. And every time the devil came to try to tempt Jesus, he called him out for what he was and said, get thee hence, you are an offense unto me. So therefore, anything that doesn't bring forth righteousness within the person of your body, if it doesn't bring forth righteousness, should be an offense unto you and you need to kick it out. Why? Because the kingdom of God is within you and all the days of your natural life, you wanna make sure that you cultivate the ground by which the kingdom of God can continue to sprout within you. And remember now, that kingdom of God, why is it so special and so important? It's because God is in the middle of it all. And if it sprouts up inside of you, that means that God has now taken his natural seat within the bodily temple of your sanctuary, of your person, and you are a representation of the olive tree that is flanked next to Jesus Christ, who is being piped by Jesus Christ, who himself is being piped from heaven, receiving the seven spirits of God into his person. And these seven spirits that have flowed through Jesus will flow through you. And as long as you continue to get up and to do your part and to make sure that the bodily temple of your person is conditioned and is conducive for the kingdom of God to continue to grow through you, there will be nothing that will hinder you from receiving all of the fruits of the spirit of the Lord God Almighty. You will find yourself so much more better than you were before you started. You will find yourself now speaking and thinking and analyzing and just resembling the mannerisms of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself said that unto his disciples, he said, look, I'm going to the Father. And the things that I did while I was here during my earthly ministry, you'll be able to do and more because I go unto the Father because my ministry here is about to end for now and so your ministry here on this earth will likely for most of you eclipse my three and a half years that i was here before going unto the father and so you'll be able to do more and the only reason why you'll be able to do any of it is because you're part of the kingdom of god and because you are receiving the same nutrients being piped from jesus who again is being piped from heaven and being fed the seven spirits of God. This is why, and as mentioned earlier, we are considered living souls. And when you look that word up in the biblical Hebrew, it refers to being refreshed. We have souls that are continually being refreshed on a daily basis. And uh, that is extremely important uh, and telling uh, because what it does indicate is that uh, you cannot exist without continually being refreshed. That means that whatever it was that I had, let's just say last week, after a while, it begins to go away. The oil, so to speak, begins to go out of the lamp and I need new and fresh oil to fill up my reservoir. And I received that refreshing, not from anything that I have done or rather do. I can't go to the store to receive this refreshing and buy the oil necessary that would fill up my reservoir. But the reservoir can only be filled up by the Lord God Almighty. Adam did not become a living soul because of anything Adam did. Adam became a living soul once the Lord breathed through him the breath of life, and then he became a living soul. And so if we were to look back into the beginning of the scriptures, the beginning of the Bible, we can see how the kingdom of God was being prepared for us to enter into and we did touch on this in our previous episode, but man wasn't ready to walk into the kingdom as a sinner. So the condition had to be made by the Lord in order to prepare man to be able to walk into the kingdom of God, to become a citizen of the kingdom. And so when you go through the Bible linearly and you look at the work of God as he's meticulously working on the hearts of men and the minds of men, to make them prepared to become Israel so they can enter into the kingdom. Look at what he did. He established what type of individual was going to enter into the kingdom by identifying them as being a person who will strive with God 
and man and prevail and not just anybody but a ruler he has given us the privilege of becoming a holy nation of people unto himself a royal priesthood unto himself a part of the family of god we're not just anybody's royalty we're his royalty we're royalty because he's the king of kings and the lord of lords and he has engrafted us into his personage and now we are part of his family so that now we are royal like him so he has prepared man to enter into the kingdom we could not enter into it day one as a sinner we could not as a matter of fact uh, Adam and Eve was cast out of the garden, but it wasn't until they were conditioned by God to be able to stand in his presence. And we saw that in Genesis chapter three, when after repenting, even though you may not see it in the black and white, but we know that they did repent. Why? Because the Lord prepared a sacrifice for them in order to have them clothed by the animal skin. That animal skin wasn't in the stores. There was no Walmart there. There was no Walgreens or wherever it was. There was no store, department store there where they can actually go and pick up animal skins to cover themselves. It had to be of the caliber that was acceptable unto the Lord God Almighty. And that animal skin was a representation of the covering that they once had, but now lost as sinners. And so here the Lord is preparing them to stay in his presence. And he was in their presence even after he kicked them out and he had to kick them out because the shoes on their feet and they could not take it off as of yet. The means by which was acceptable to take them off was not provided yet. Remember now, it was Jesus who cleaned and washed the disciples' feet. When he told Peter, except I wash your feet, you're still dirty. But if I do wash your feet, you're clean every whit. All of you are clean. And so the Lord was providing and preparing man to be cleansed by himself. But man had to be conditioned for that. Sin has now engrafted itself within the person of man. Now man in his heart was becoming more corrupt and wicked on a daily basis. And so the Lord had to surgically remove that by a method and means that was holy unto him. And so he would then introduce Jesus, the Savior, the Redeemer unto humanity in distinct ways. In the beginning, he could not be fully known. His name was not given, but there were types and shadows of him in the form of the sacrifices, in the form of the Lord calling himself Jehovah, which is a name that's in reference to God's divine salvation. So there were all of these images and metaphors uh, that uh, represented the Christ as the Lord was preparing man to come into the kingdom of God. And so the foundation of the city, the same city that we see in the Revelation account that comes down from heaven, we'll look at that as a type and shadow, how it is like a bride that was adorned unto a husband. And let me just read this to you. So in Revelations 21, and I'll read a few verses to you, but it says here, beginning at verse number two, and I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And there came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the seven last plagues, and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife, verse 10. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain and showed me that great city, the new Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, verse 12, and had a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and the names written thereon, which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel, verse 14. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb, verse 22 and i saw no temple therein for the lord god almighty and the lamb are the temple of it verse 23 and the city had no need of the sun neither of the moon to shine in it uh, for the glory of god uh, did lighten it and the lamb is the light thereof verse 24 and the nations of them which are saved shall walk in the light of it the kings of the earth do bring their glory and honor unto it, verse 25, and the gates of it shall not be shut at all by day, for there shall be no night there, verse 27, and there shall in no wise enter into it anything that defileth, uh, neither whatsoever worketh abomination or maketh a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life. And so what the Lord is doing, going all the way back to the Genesis count, 
after man had sinned is prepare men to be written in his book of life, the Lamb's book of life. And only those who are in the book of life have the privilege of entering into this wonderful great city. And so the kingdom of God is in a sense a type of that. Why? Because even John records how when the city came down from heaven, it came down like a bride adorned for her husband. And so she has been prepared uh, to meet her husband, to be with her husband. And so is man being prepared to meet with God. And so by having the kingdom of God inside of us and by growing within us, we are being prepared to have God be within us so that we can continually have a place of meeting inside of our person with God on a daily basis. And so when you also look at that image of the city, it denotes how there were 12 gates that you could walk through any one of the 12 to enter into the city. And this was the only means by which you can enter into the city. You have to enter in through the door of the city, the doors that are designated for entry into the city. Because Jesus said that if you come in any other way, you come in as a thief and as a robber. And so in order to enter into this city, the city gates were named after the 12 tribes of Israel. And so in other words, in order to enter into the city, you have to come through Israel. And I'm not just talking about the nation Israel. I'm not talking about that, but I'm speaking spiritually here. And so what I'm trying to get at is that in order to enter into the city, you have to be Israel. You have to be that person who God has designated as being a ruler who strives with him and man and prevails, who will walk with the Lord as the disciples did and endure the shame that the world has put in the Lord's direction and not be scattered when things get tough so that when the Lord turns to look at us and we're still standing there after others have left and backslid, he can ask the question, are you going to leave also? And we like Peter can say, where are we going to go? For you have the words of eternal life and of salvation. That's Israel right there. That's someone who's not going to let go of the Lord no matter what no matter how hard the storms are coming up against us, no matter how hard the wind is blowing, no matter how threatening Goliath might be, we refuse to give up and drop the bloodstained banner. We will stay with Jesus no matter what. That's Israel. And so in order to enter into this city where the Lord is on the inside, because the Bible said there's no temple in the city. Why? Because the Lord is the temple of it. There's no sun any longer. Why? Because the Lord is the light of the city and there's no need for darkness at all. There's no more darkness. So he's inside the city. And so in order to be where he is, you have to go into the city. And in order to go into the city, you have to go in through one of the 12 gates of the city, which have been identified as Israel. And so therefore, your passport must say that you are a child of God as to the identity of Israel a ruler who strives with God, a ruler who walks with God, endures with God, walks foot to foot with God, will hang in there when things are tough. That is somebody whom the Lord considers to be a friend. And so that will allow you to go into the city through one of the 12 gates. And so the Bible also speaks when we read that scripture in Revelations 21, it says that there were now 12 foundations to the wall of the city. And it was established that the 12 foundations were identified as the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And so this great wall that defends, that houses the city, is built upon the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Okay, so now what does that mean? That means that we're talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? Because the apostles took the gospel and established the Lord. And in this gospel, what do we have? We have what Peter testified and said in Acts chapter 2, that in order for you to be saved, the gospel speaks about salvation. The gospel speaks about redemption. And in order to be saved, a sacrifice had to be made. Peter testified that repent, be baptized in Jesus' name by water, and go on to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, as Jesus has instructed us to do, as we see in his exchange with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And so the foundations of the city can be likened to the gospel account. And so the gospel is what the city is based upon. It sits upon that. The walls of the city is based upon the gospels of Jesus Christ. 
So it, it speaks about the sacrifice. It speaks about redemption and all of this. And so in order for me to enter into the city, I have to be one that's associated with the city. I have to be spiritual Israel to be able to walk into the city. But then I also have to be associated with the foundation of the city that is built upon, which is redemption and, and believing in the works of God. And so the Bible says, what is the work of God? The work of God is this, that you believe in the Son, believe in the one whom he has sent. In other words, believe in Jesus Christ. So I can't go into the city unless I believe in Jesus Christ. I have been redeemed by Jesus Christ, right? Because that's how the foundation is established uh, by the 12 uh, apostles of the Lamb who preached the gospel of Jesus Christ when Jesus told them at the end of Matthew, go ye out in the Great Commission and make disciples of men. That has to be associated with each and every last one of us. And we're going to go into this great city and I can only enter into it after I'm identified as being Israel, somebody who will love the Lord more than these, so to speak. And so I say all that to say this, that the kingdom of God does not come right away until all of these things are established. And so one may then say, wait a minute now, the apostles didn't show up until much later. You know, how can you build a city without your foundation first on the walls of the city? How can it be built without the foundation first? And we know that the walls were built first. Why? Because you can look in Nehemiah and also in Ezra. And it speaks about how when they rebuilt the, the city of Jerusalem and the temple, they first built the wall. And because there are those that are out there who would try to keep us from having a city of God. And so you build your walls first. And so the foundation of the wall, as we've seen in this Revelation account of this wonderful city that comes down from heaven in time to come, is built upon the foundation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so, yes, you can associate the gospel of Jesus Christ in the Old Testament. There's a couple of reasons we can say that. And we must establish every word by two or three witnesses. In the Revelation account, it says that the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. And so prophecy, as we do know, is associated with the Old Testament, because if you read in Hebrews chapter one, it says, God, who in sundry time and in divers manner spoken times past unto the people by the prophets, right? Having the last day spoken unto us by his son. So in olden times, in the Old Testament times, he spoke unto man by the prophets. But yet, according to Revelations, the testimony of Jesus Christ is the spirit of prophecy. Therefore, the prophets were moved by the spirit of the testimony of Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, the gospel was preached in the Old Testament. You did have talk of redemption in the Old Testament. You did have talk of salvation in the Old Testament. You did. Even in the Garden of Eden, we see talk of salvation. We hear it. We read it. Adam and Eve received the covering that they received as a type of redemption. It covered up their sin. Uh, that animal skin was a covering. And that was a representation of the work of Jesus Christ, the Redeemer. And as a matter of fact, when you really want to get deep about it, the Bible says that Adam and Eve heard the voice of the Lord walking in the garden. In other words, heard the word of God walking in the garden. According to John chapter 1, the Bible speaks about how the word of God came forth from the Father and the word became flesh. And this word is God. And we do know that this word is Jesus Christ, the Savior. And so Adam and Eve in that situation, at that moment, needed God to be their savior. And so, yes, it does therefore make sense that Adam would hear the voice of God walking. What voice walks but the word of God that John mentions in John chapter 1. This is Jesus Christ. And so you can now have an argument that you can hang your hat on and defend how the city of the kingdom of God is being built, the city of God is being built even going all the way back into the Old Testament. And so let's now attribute the attributes of this city and ascribe it unto the kingdom of God. The foundations of the city needed to be built. The means but to enter into the city needed to be established. It's the same means, it's the same foundation, right? The kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, in a sense, they are identical. We, as a sinner, could not just go into the kingdom of heaven. The Bible says it, that no man has gone into heaven at that time, except him that came down from heaven. And so that speaks of Jesus Christ. But what God has done is he has made it so that 
his will is being done on earth as it is in heaven. So therefore, the kingdom of God is a replica of the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven is a distinct place. It is in heaven. Eventually, it'll be here on earth. And so the kingdom of God is the means by which the kingdom of heaven will eventually be established on earth. And so just as the Lord told Moses, after the fashion that you've seen it in the mount, is the way that you should make this tabernacle, this place of meeting. And so this was a natural establishment, but the Lord was still working on our hearts to condition us so that the kingdom of God can be within us, which means that it is a spiritual kingdom. And so by looking at the, the natural work that Moses did creates a precedence with God that it is thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we do know there's a kingdom of God because the Lord spoke about it. He taught about it. He said, behold, the kingdom of God has come unto you. Now the kingdom of God can come unto you. Before, it, it couldn't yet because it was being formulated, not because of anything that we had to wait for the Lord to do. It was more so about having us come up unto him. Because remember, it was us who had to take the shoes off our feet for the ground that we stood on his holy ground. It was us that had to do that. And so we had to be conditioned to enter into the kingdom. The Lord had already created the means to do so. It's just that we had to be conditioned for it. The Lord had to create a means by which we could identify ourselves as being sinners. He has created a means by which him through loving kindness can draw us unto him to show us that there's a better way and the way that we're walking and going into and heading towards is not that way. And so by doing it the way he has done it, he has now established a means after we're prepared, after we now realize through the law that my goodness, I keep making mistakes. I keep slipping up. I can't get this right, that I need help. And then once we are conditioned and once we see our faults, so to speak, now we can cry out to him that, Lord, I need a help. Here comes the savior. Here comes the redeemer and the person of Jesus Christ. Here we are now in the new Testament. And now he can say, the kingdom of God has come unto you. You are now at the right mindset. Now I can talk to you. Now you see the difference. Now you're mature enough to know and see things from God's perspective that you are a sinner and no sinner can come in the presence of the Lord. You cannot be in your mess and expect to be with God. That's just not how it works. You have to put the shoes off your feet. And God had to get man to a point where they realized that for themselves. It wasn't enough for him to take the shoes off the feet himself that wasn't going to do anything why because they'll end up going back there and needing to have their shoes taken off again they'll pick up their shoes and put it back on but when you realize that this is a detriment when you realize that this is a problem and i have to get this off you'll be happy to have jesus wash your feet like what peter said lord not just my feet but my whole body once he realized that there was no other way that he can be cleansed, that he couldn't do it himself, that the only one that can wash his feet was Jesus. When you realize that, when you are now understanding that, my goodness, I'm a wreck without God, I need God, that I am not a living soul if I'm not hooked up to Jesus Christ, I need this, he's my life, he's the way, he's the truth. Once you start to do that, now he can say, the kingdom of God has come unto you. Because now you're starting to resemble somebody who looks like Israel. That means you can enter into the kingdom. Now you're somebody who can stand on the ground, the holy ground of the kingdom has been built by the foundations of the 12 apostles of the Lamb who preached the gospel of Jesus Christ, which uh, speaks about redemption. Now you're somebody who receives the redemption offering that God has bestowed upon us by his son, Jesus Christ. Now you're somebody who can enter into the kingdom of God. And that's why when you read in the gospel according to Luke, and it speaks about the annunciation of Jesus Christ, when Jesus came and the angels were out there in the heavens and the atmosphere visible unto the shepherds, they cried out and they said in Luke chapter two, and it says, and lo, the angel of the Lord came unto them and the glory of the Lord shone round about them. And they were so afraid in verse 10. And the angel said unto them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you was born this day in the city of David, the Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. You shall see the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, uh, lying in a manger. 
And suddenly, in verse 13, there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill towards men. All right. So this is the celebration. Heaven rejoiced when Jesus was born. Because now the means to enter into the kingdom of God was now made available. I bring you tidings of great joy. It should be a joy to enter into the kingdom of God. This is your ark of safety. You have to go in this in order to make it out of the mess that we're in. You have to flee to the kingdom of God. That's why the Bible says when it speaks about it, seek ye first, meaning that I could seek other things. But the Lord is saying, put this first above all, above your dreams, above your aspirations, above anything that you think is holy and just and good. You put entering into the kingdom of God first. That's first. And if you put that first, then all of these things will be established unto you. Why? Because in order to get into the kingdom, you also have to put on the righteousness of the kingdom. This is known as the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of Tom. None, none of these things. You need to go to the kingdom of God. If it's his kingdom, he's going to make sure that kingdom is standing in the end when the kingdom of heaven is here on earth. The kingdom of Tom, that's not going to be here. That's not, no, it's going to be the kingdom of God. That's what's going to make it in. That's the ark of safety. The kingdom of Tom, they're not going to give you the righteousness at all. The kingdom of God will give you the righteousness. The kingdom of Tom, it might give you whatever you think the kingdom of Tom can afford you. But the kingdom of God is saying, look, you enter into me. He said, all these things will be added unto you. I, I know the kingdom of Tom doesn't have that type of bankroll, so to speak, and, and type of promises. I he can't do that. But the kingdom of God can. And so if you enter into the kingdom of God, seek ye the kingdom of God first and its righteousness, and then live your life by being a citizen daily until the Lord calls you home until your soul is required of you. Imagine uh, having your soul required of God, being a citizen of the kingdom of God. What is he going to say? What is he going to say when he sees you standing in front of him, fulfilling your appointment because he called you unto him, your soul was required to be there before him. What is he going to say to somebody who's a citizen of the kingdom of God and standing in front of him? He's going to say, job well done, my good and faithful servant. He's going to consider you a friend. You are standing in front of him with the cloak of righteousness that the city affords everybody when they come in. Remember, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So you're standing in front of him, a soul, a living soul that has been continually refreshed by the seven spirits of God that was piped from the sun and now piped into you my goodness, what else do you think he's going to say? He's going to say to you, this is my beloved child in whom I am well pleased. Because that's what he said to the son. And that's why he considers you a son of God. Son in terms of, of position. He considers you a son of God. Beloved, now we are the sons of God, right? And it doth not yet appear we shall be, but we shall know that when we see him, we shall be as he is. So we are sons of God right now, as long as you're a part of the kingdom of God. Let the kingdom of God grow within you. Let the kingdom of God prosper within you. Continue to ensure that you uh, will stay in the kingdom of God by arresting anything that will make you doubt Jesus Christ because that's not fulfilling the work of God. Remember, the work of God is to believe on him whom he has sent. Believe in the Son. But when you have doubt there, Doubt will make you lazy. Doubt won't make you perform the work of God. My yoke is easy and burden is light. This is all he requires us to do is to believe. And in, in believing, yes, your faith in him will produce good works. Your faith in him will get you up, will make you arrest anything that's not of him and cast it out of your person with the same tenacity that he's demonstrated when he was casting out the money changers. 
you have to consider your bodily temple as a house of prayer and not a den of thieves. Because if you are meticulous and you are about trying to keep your bodily temple clean and right so that the holy ground can stay and remain holy, then you're going to continue to receive the nutrients of the seven spirits of God so that the fruits of God can grow. Imagine the type of person you'll be in the sight of God if you allow these things to happen, if you remove the weeds from the harvest so it doesn't choke you, the thorns from the harvest so it doesn't choke you and choke the life out of you, choke the word out of you. You need to have these things inside of you because the kingdom of God grows within you. It does. And if the kingdom of God grows within you, you are now primed and ready to enter into the kingdom of heaven when the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. And that will happen. So right now, the kingdom of God is an ark of safety. It is a place of refuge. It is you meeting with Jesus Christ and continually being nourished by his presence. He told his disciples in the Garden of Gethsemane, pray lest you fall into temptation. And that right there is extremely telling because that tells us that in communion with Christ, and there's something that he supplies that will help me to avoid temptation, that will keep me from going into temptation. And if we give ourselves into temptation, now you're sabotaging yourself. Now you're sabotaging the place of meeting within the person of your bodily temple. Now your bodily temple is becoming darker. Now the light is starting to go out. Now you're going to need to get cleansed again, right? Because you're putting the shoes back on your feet. And now you're defiling the holy ground by which the kingdom of God that's supposed to be in you resides. Remember, you have to keep the shoes off your feet and that happens on a daily basis. That's why you have to daily pray. And by daily praying, you're staying in the Lord's presence, communing with him. And he said, if you do so, you will not fall into temptation. Pray lest you fall into temptation. So prayer equips you from falling into temptation. And it also keeps the ground clean so that the kingdom of God can prosper and it will continue to identify you as the Israel of God. Okay, we'll stop right there. I'm sure there's a lot more to talk about. And the good thing about the podcast is that it does welcome repeating certain things that may have been said in previous podcasts as we build upon other topics, discussions, and validating the topic discussions. Because as the Bible says that every word must be established by two or three witnesses. I hope you enjoyed this discussion on the kingdom of God, God's ark of safety. And thank you again for taking the time to listen and I will see you next time for the next podcast. Have yourself a great day, a great evening, a great week. Take care and God bless you.